welcome to Docupied, a podcast about anime, manga, light novels, and industry news. I'm your host, Brandon, otherwise known as Doc Pay, and I said I'd do it, and I said I'd come back to it. So this week's episode, I'll be talking about Mobile Suit Gundam, Iron-Blooded Orphans. In the April 1st episode that I did, and I talked about Gunpla and stuff like that, I kind of explained that I've always really loved Gundam stuff. Well, always maybe a bit of a stretch, but I've liked Gundam stuff for a very long time. And since I recently just completed a rewatch of Iron-Blooded Orphans, figured why not talk about it on the podcast. I started the rewatch after I built the Master Grade Gundam Barbados, and building it just made me really want to rewatch the series, so I did. It's an absolutely fantastic Gunpla. Highly recommend getting the Master Grade Barbados if you're at all into Gunpla or model kits. So yeah, I recently rewatched IBO. Um, IBO is 50 episodes long, and you can watch it on Funimation or Netflix. I believe Funimation only has the English audio, whereas on Netflix you can watch either the sub or dub. So just watch it wherever has the audio version you want. I'll say on the outset I've never seen the English dubbed version, so I will be referencing and using exclusively the Japanese audio version. So if anything is pronounced differently for anyone who has watched the dub, is what it is. I almost feel like I want to give you a rundown of Gundam stuff in general before I talk about IBO, but I think I'm just going to talk about IBO as a standalone without any additional like Gundam lore, and that's largely because this series is standalone in its own like contained universe within the Gundam franchise. So while it does help to have some degree of familiarity with Gundam in general, you really don't need to know anything about it, Gundam as a whole to watch this show. And I guess maybe I will talk a little bit about kind of greater Gundam stuff. Many Gundam stories at their core and as a setup feature a conflict between Earth and either space colonies or Mars or colonies on like the moon. Generally speaking, a lot of the conflict in these stories tend to stem from something like that. And IBO is one where our main characters are all on Mars and they feature conflict between Mars and the kind of ruling class of Earth that holds control and reign over Mars, as well as a bunch of space colonies. So both the space colonies and Mars are both kind of under the thumb of an organization on Earth known as Gallerhorn. Boy, I'm not sure how to actually pronounce that in English. Only the, the Japanese one, so if that's how they say it in the dub, then cool. If not, uh, well, you know what I'm talking about. They're positioned as kind of the main antagonist throughout the series, or like as an organization, like the main antagonist. Whereas our protagonists are essentially a bunch of child soldiers, more like child slave soldiers, almost, who are from Mars, grew up in poverty, like abject poverty, and essentially sold themselves into like a paramilitary type organization. Gundam does deal a lot with 
kind of socioeconomic and political conflict, but IBO is definitely one of the more stark examples of it. This series is very upfront about the realities of oppression, war, and the reality that like our characters live under, which is living and dying as like children soldiers. So that's the like basic background setup of the story. It's set a couple hundred years after what's known as the Calamity War. That was this war between the Earth and the like outer colonies. And our story basically kicks off with a bunch of the, or well, who will become our main cast, taking control of their own fates, essentially, in order to, like, well, survive, but survive an attack by the, like, primary, they call themselves, like, peacekeeping organization, but, like, the ruling organization, uh, Gallarhorn. The group goes on to found their own, like, mercenary company known as Tekadon, which is Japanese for Iron Flower. And now you're starting to see where, like, Iron-Blooded Orphans as a title comes from. So let's talk characters, and then I'll get back into my thoughts on kind of the plot. And then I can also kind of talk about the animation and the music and stuff like that. So our main characters are uh, Orga Itsuka and Mikazuki August. This pair uh, have known each other since, well, they're still young, but have known each other since they were like actual children. And Orga is the like leader of the group and eventually becomes the uh, leader of Tekadon. Mikazuki is our traditional like Gundam pilot protagonist, except he's pretty much unlike any of the other Gundam pilot protagonists. Again, this is one of those like you don't need to be familiar with Gundam, but people who know Gundam know that many Gundam protagonists, they come from kind of a normal background. I mean, not all of them, obviously, but there's generally this degree of like hesitation to fight, hesitation to kill their enemies or to kill anyone. There's a there's like a internal conflict with them about like the morality of of war and and killing and that kind of thing. That that's a big like Tomino type plot point that happens over and over. IBO does not feature that whatsoever. Mikoski has no qualms about, you know, killing his enemies, finishing them off, or general just violence. I mean, they're children soldiers raised in complete poverty in an oppressive system. Like, Mikoski does not fuck around. And for once, I actually, well, for once isn't right, but like, I really appreciate that despite the setup being like very reminiscent of Gundam stuff, our main cast are very unlike normal Gundam casts. Orga is charismatic, confident, daring. He's resourceful, trusting of his of his like comrades. But he, you know, he doubts himself from time to time, especially after, you know, there are deaths uh within Tekadon. He sometimes questions whether he's doing the right thing, if he's made the right decisions. Mikazuki, on the other hand, is well, because of their background uh, and the relationship he has with Orga, he will essentially do anything Orga like orders or asks of him in order to like reach what they constantly kind of talk about 
is like the promised place for them, like the place they belong, the place where they will end up. And Mikazuki just trusts Orga implicitly and never questions anything that Orga like asks him to do or any plan of action. You know, he'll just execute it to the letter because Orga's the one who decided it or asked him. He does have his own like thoughts about things frequently. Um, he does have his own kind of set of dreams. You know, one day he wishes to start a farm on Mars that does more than produce corn. So he does, he, you know, he tries to research. Well, research might not be the right word, but he, yeah, he does try and research and experiment with, with planting other things. And so he, he does have his own kind of personal dreams, but to him, both like Tekadon and Orga are essentially everything to him. There's Atra. She's another kind of childhood friend of theirs that they met and who eventually comes to be part of Tekadon. She's the like classic childhood friend of the main character who's in love with him character. And then one of the other kind of main forces is uh, Kudelia. She's a Martian noble. And in contrast to all of our other main characters who grew up, you know, in poverty, working as children soldiers or Atra who used to work in like a brothel, not as a prostitute, but as, you know, she was too young. So she would just like clean up and stuff. You know, they grew up in, with those kind of lives, whereas Kudelia grew up rich and taken care of, even on Mars. However, she, you know, in her kind of naivete, wants to, you know, help the people of Mars and, and this and that. And she she's our kind of idealistic, naive character. The story kind of kicks off and, and what sparks it is that she's trying to go to Earth to negotiate independence for which is a, I guess, nation with on Mars, and also negotiate like this kind of whatever thing, like plot device thing, but like the deregulation of half metal on Mars, which would allow them to be less economically dependent on Earth. I know that's kind of a mumbo jumbo, but it's all in an effort of like Mar- Mars independence, essentially. And so she's kind of like a face of the Mars independence movement and Gellerhorn wants to put a stop to that obviously and so the story kicks off when she's contracted the company that all of our main characters are work for is a generous word but are a part of to transport her to earth and then Gellerhorn attacks and tries to kill her and then that kind of triggers the trajectory of Pretty much the rest of the plot. On the other side of the fence, because it wouldn't be Gundam if we didn't have main characters all over, is McGillis Farid. He's initially introduced as one of our main like antagonists, and to a certain degree he's kind of an antagonist in a lot of ways, uh, and a lot of stuff happens with him, and he eventually ends up allying with Tekadon when they introduce like an additional new antagonist in like season two, that kind of thing. But he's one of those like obsessed with the main cast or like Tekadon type of characters thinks they're like envisions them as the second coming of like the founder of, or like the founders of Gellerhorn. And so he's kind of like the, he plays the like mastermind esque masked character who moves 
various pieces to his like toward achieving you know whatever his goal is he's a member of what's known as the seven stars within Gallarhorn, which is like the kind of oligarchy that controls it the seven different families and you know you do learn that his one of his main goals is to reform Gallarhorn. so and that's kind of why he takes such an interest in Tekadon. he intends to use them as a means to like reform the corrupt Gallarhorn. And there's a bunch more like Gallarhorn characters that are like quite featured. Um Gaelio Baudouin. Gaelio Baudouin. Boy, I don't know how to actually pronounce his name in English. Gaelio Baudouin. <laughs> we'll go with that. Whatever. Uh he's kind of essentially a, a long like childhood friend of McGillis, another member of the Seven Stars, one of the other families. And kind of one of the also main characters who like shuffles around from, well, he's, he's typically an antagonist to Tekadon in general, at least across most of the first season. He's, he's somewhat, I don't want to call him annoying, but he's pretty like frustrating to watch. Uh, but I liked a lot of the shift and change we see in him after certain events within the story. And, you know, there's a lot more. Gellerhorn characters. I don't really want to get into them maybe too specifically, um, but another kind of main one to mention that comes up later and is kind of our main antagonist for season two is Rastal Elion. He leads uh, like an elite force known as Arianrod, which is based uh, on the moon it's the outer lunar orbit joint fleet, and he's kind of positioned as MacGillis's rival within Gallarhorn in terms of obstructing his way to like reforming it. And then there's a bunch more other uh, characters under Rustal. Um, Rustal is also another member of the Seven Stars, and there's there's others. Another one, Iokujan, is incredibly annoying. I hate that character. I don't know. Some people liked him, I guess, but oof. Really incredibly frustrating character. I guess he did his job. Anyway, not to get too bogged down, there are many characters. Is <laughs> maybe the best way to explain this. There's characters on all sides of this, and so you get perspective from all sides in terms of seeing the story from lots of angles. There is another kind of important faction to mention. Um, there is a we'll call them business conglomerate that's kind of like mafia-esque known as Tewaz and one of the groups under them known as the Turbines is run by Naze Turbine and one of his wives Amida Arka and those two act as somewhat like older sibling like mentor figures to Orga and Tekadon as a whole and they play fairly substantial roles within the plot and story in both helping our main cast kind of achieve their goals and helping them, you know, through a bunch of tough spots, things like that. There's a lot of really endearing characters in this. I, I really don't have time to talk about them all, but suffice it to say, there's many characters. There's a lot that you'll like, some you won't. And something I really appreciated in general about this story is that we don't have the kind of average Joe grew up happy and peaceful character that gets thrust into a war and is constantly complaining about having to actually fight 
and you know not wanting to kill his enemies and having this huge moral quandary over like only to eventually realize like yeah war is bad and you know duh but sometimes you get a little tired of seeing Gundam protagonists be really stupid and so it's nice in a way bad for the characters of course you know you feel really bad for them in this story but like it's nice to actually see characters like this that you know just do what they need to do to either you know protect their friends and family or like understand the reality of things beyond just like looking at it from an ideal that may be a more specific Gundam problem but yeah maybe I shouldn't cheer on the fact that these children soldiers don't necessarily have a lot of qualms regarding like death and murder well it's not really murder on the battlefield but like you know killing anyway overall um the plot is pretty strong I really kind of enjoy it overall um there's a bit of a lull in season two as things like start to kick off partway through and then things go well you know I don't want to say rapidly downhill but um the plot like chugs like really barrels forward in the second half of season two leading up to like a pretty satisfying ending we'll say it's absolutely definitely bittersweet um i'll just say i mean realistically think about it can there ever be like a happy ending for an organization of children soldiers caught in a greater conflict for control of an independence between like mars colonies and earth was like you know just saying so i won't spoil anything obviously but it's it's absolutely an ending that hits hard with lots of bittersweetness. You definitely don't need any familiarity with Gundam to watch this show, so don't worry if you're not a traditional Gundam fan. The plot is totally self-contained. The story is over. These 50 episodes tell a complete plot. I mean, I'd hope so, but they do. <laughs> it's, it's finished. There is a definitive ending, essentially. And since I can't really or don't really want to talk about too much in regards to plot stuff, especially anything that goes on, you know, like season two, I'm going to move on to visuals and music before I kind of wrap this up. So first things first, I absolutely love the mecha design in IBO. I mean, I think overall Gundam has like very high quality mecha design, but IBO's is incredibly unique even within the Gundam universe as a whole. They're very, like, mechanical. They're intimidating. Barbados, you know, even eventually earns, like, the nickname the Devil of Tekadon. He's, he's, it's almost scary, which is, which is really fascinating, and I love that. Many of the designs in this show are really appealing. Uh, Vidar later on is a, is a really cool-looking Gundam. I like the way Gushion looks. There's just... Oh, Bile is very cool. I'm just a big fan of this particular style of design, especially with how unique it is within Gundam. They're they're almost they're very savage looking and, and the weapons, this story doesn't feature any like beam weaponry, so there's no like beam sabers or beam rifles or beam launchers. There's none of that that you see in a lot of other Gundam. Everything is is physical. So their guns are are physical they fire like physical rounds they use physical swords for melee 
I mean, Barbados's primary weapon through most of the show is a giant mace. I, I absolutely love the look of it. Um, Gushion uses like a scissors clipper crusher thing. You know, Barbados also has like this big ass sword and the, the fights and the choreography and the animation are all like visceral close together. There's lots of like in your face melee fights. They're not necessarily, you know, shooting beams from across the screen at each other. You know, you're not seeing beam saber duels, nothing like that. It's, it's visceral. It's brutal. A lot, you know, many of the deaths of some of the, well, like other pilots, you know, you, you get to see like their cockpits being crushed. It's pretty gritty, uh, especially for like a Gundam show. And I really appreciate that. It does not shy away from kind of the brutality and the horror of, of what's going on in the show. And it just, it really looks good. You know, the animations look really good in motion. The fight scenes are, are powerful. You can often like feel the weight of, of the fight while watching it. The sound design and the music are fantastic. There's a lot of really good scores like that add so much depth to some of the scenes. I'm a big fan of the soundtrack. And one of the openings is done by Man with the Mission, Raise Your Flag, and I absolutely love the song. It's such a bop. Bop's not a right word. It's not a pop song. It's a rock song. But like, it really gets stuck in your head, and it, it feels just right for this kind of show. I don't think this show overstays its welcome, even with 50 episodes. There's just so much I love about it. Even at, even with my you know bias towards Gundam stuff, I think this is a good show overall. You know, lol, it lags a little in certain areas, but you know, no show is well. I won't say no show, but m- most things aren't perfect. But I think IBO puts a really good foot forward. If you're into mecha or kind of socio-economical or po- political conflict, uh, especially between like sci-fi stuff like like a Mars or space colonies versus Earth. So if you're all into mecha, sci-fi, that kind of conflict type stories, IBO is, is fantastic. Just prepare yourself for some tragedy <laughs> is the only way I can really ex- explain or say that. It is not a series to go into thinking everything's going to be happy-go-lucky work out for everyone. It's just not that kind of story. So if you can appreciate a story that, you know, takes the issues it presents fairly seriously, then IBO is for you. But before I ramble on about or jump into how much I love Gunpla again, I'm going to wrap this up because I could talk about Gundam and Gunpla for a very long time. So that is Mobile Suit Gundam Iron-Blooded Orphans. Definitely go check it out if any of this sounded appealing to you. There's 50 episodes. It's a nice, hearty chunk of anime to watch. You can watch it on Funimation or Netflix. It might be somewhere else to watch it. I don't remember, to be honest, but I know those two sites have it. So what are you waiting for? Go watch IBO. Let me know what you think. And uh, if you go to my Twitter, I am DocPay, you can see an image of uh, the Master Grade Barbados Gunpla figure I built. And you can tell me how much you love my, my Gunpla hobby. Please reinforce it so I spend more money. Or wait, don't. Hold on. Eh, Whatever, it's too late. 
I've already spent a fortune on uh, on Gunpla in the last like couple months, and I don't regret it a single bit. Thanks for listening. Follow my Twitter, I am DocPay for updates. And please, if you liked Occupied, leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you can't leave a review there, go do it on Apple Podcasts or iTunes. Every review helps. I'll catch you next time. Mm-hmm.